Hello, my name is Samuel George London, and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer, publisher, and very nice chap, Joshua Starnes, about what comics he would take into a zombie outbreak apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, the Comic Scene Comic Club. Available from just £5 a month or £30 a year, you can get monthly issues of the History of Comics, Shift, Brawler and Specials of Pat Mills' Space Warp. To find out more and subscribe to the Comic Club, visit comicscene.org. Also, if you enjoy the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Joshua Starnes. How's it going? Hello, Sam. It's uh, it's going well. It's a big day for me. First day of the box out in the wild, so I'm I'm super excited. Amazing. Yeah, and it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. And you just mentioned uh, your recently published uh, mini-series, The Box, uh, through Red 5 Comics. Um, But before we get into that, um, tell the listeners uh, what you do in the world of comics. Yeah, so uh, I am one of the co-owners and co-publishers of uh, the comic series, uh, the comic publisher uh, Red Five Comics, which is uh, an independent uh, publisher uh, in the U.S. We publish maybe four or five titles a year, uh, and then beyond that, I also uh, write and develop uh, my own comic series. I uh, put out a series called uh, Spook. Uh, about four years ago with uh, Lysandros Darren, right before he went off to work on uh, Redneck. And I have uh, my latest series, uh, The Box, a uh, mystical um, private eye series that's going to be four issues that's starting in comic stores uh, today. Fantastic. Um, And I've had the pleasure of reading the first issue myself. Um, And it's, it's a fantastic kickoff to the series um but for to give the listeners a quick flavor what are, what are they uh looking looking out for yeah so imagine uh the the maltese falcon but instead of everyone trying to get their hands on a, a jewel encrusted statue they were looking for a magic box that would give you anything you asked for it and right now it's in uh, the hands of a, a ne'er-do-well private eye who's been using it to help him with his cases but then he uh he suddenly finds himself a frame for, for kidnapping and murder, and he is on the run from the, for, from the police uh, who are trying to arrest him, and he's on the run from uh, the mob who have framed him in order to get the box away from him. He has to figure out how to clear his name and how to uh, keep the box away from the bad guys and keep himself alive while doing it. And then in the process, he begins to learn more and more about the this magic artifact that's been in his possession he discovers has a, a life and will of its own and uh, may not necessarily be uh, for the good of all people and has to decide whether uh, it's worth it to keep it or maybe he should just give it uh, to the mob or to its previous owners. What could be so bad about them having a, a magic box that would give them whatever they want? Maybe it's better than, yeah. than people shooting at him all the time. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, that's a, it's a tough one, that. Um, give the Mafia a magical box that gives them anything <laughs> they want, or, or take, it, take, take one for the team. <laughs> exactly. Um, gosh. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a great start start to the series. And I, I 
really enjoyed the story, but the art is is great, and it just it suits the uh, the story so well. Um, how did you end up collaborating with? Um, sorry, what's the name of the artist? Is it is it His Roy or Ray? Raymond. Uh, Raymond. Sorry, yeah, it is Raymond. Yeah, I got really lucky. Uh, so uh, I had actually the script. I, I had uh, taken out the script, which had been sitting in sort of an outline form for for quite a long time, and I just hadn't gotten around to it while uh, because just the, the work for keeping Red Five running ate up all my free time. Um, but during the pandemic, um, especially the early the early months of it, when um, uh, all distributors were closed and retail stores were closed, and everyone was on lockdown. I suddenly wasn't sending out having to send out product or uh, or get new books in and out. Uh, so I had a lot of free time on my hands, and I determined I was going to uh, to sit and uh, and take one of my outlines and actually write a new book because it had been several several years since I've done it and. Um, uh, by the time I, I finished writing uh, the box and I was starting to look for uh, for an artist and I didn't really have uh, a view in mind of what it should look like. I was just focusing on, on the story while I was writing it. But uh, I guess one of the benefits for, for running Red 5 is I get um, a lot of artist portfolios sent uh, on a pretty regular basis, uh, especially people who are trying to break into the business who've had a little bit of work or looking for more work or looking to, to come and work at a publisher. And one of the ones that I got was from Raymond, who was in his um, last semester at uh, the Joe Kubert School and was getting ready to graduate. And he had been um, sending his portfolio out, uh, especially to small publishers looking for more work. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Okay, this is it. I didn't know what the book Mm -hmm. was going to look like uh, until Mm -hmm. I I looked through his portfolio. I was like, all right, this is what it's going to look like. It's got this... um, dingy, dirty, grimy feel, which is what I wanted because you are ultimately talking about a crime story, yeah. even if it's got magic exactly. in it. Um, but it's also very, very clear, especially the, the way he, his work he could do with um, faces and hands mm-hmm. and uh, really develop um, emotional content out of, out of the characters while still kind of keeping the, the art style. And uh, as I talked with him, it became very clear he could handle some of the more uh, out there stuff that we would get into as people start taking things out of the box um, or looking inside the box itself so we could handle the, the, the realistic uh, world of, of street-level crime, but he could also handle the more surreal level of um, strange magic and occult happenings that this was going to mash together. That's fantastic. And it is great when you come across an artist that that's able to handle kind of such varying things um it's uh it's absolutely wonderful and then seeing your story come to life is just even more joyful <laughs> it was a really interesting uh, collaboration it was uh we didn't do it um quite uh entirely marvel style but it was usually uh in previous things i've written i've tended to be sort of very specific with what was on the page and write like very specific um panel descriptions and everything and, and give it to the artist and be like, all right, just make this exactly as I've written it. And this, we did a lot more collaboratively where I would, uh, I would give them a more general description of on each page of this is what needs to happen on this page. This is where it needs to start. And this is where it needs to end. And this is what the character is doing. And here's all the dialogue so that, um, so that you make sure that there's enough headroom and enough uh, panel space to fit it all in there and the back and forth that it needs to have. But other than that, you decide, what the page is going to look like and figure out the layout uh, of the page. So it was uh, uh, really collaborative in how we, we came up with it. And then I just had to do a little bit of editing after the fact to make the dialogue fit in the pages that actually came back. 
Fantastic. Um, and uh, where where can where's the best place for people uh, to find you and the box online? Well, I'm uh, all over social media. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Josh Starnes Film. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at JB Starnes One, uh, and um, Facebook. Uh, look for uh, Joshua Starnes, or look for uh, Red Five Comics, and you'll see my stuff um, all over the Red Five Comics page uh, as well. Awesome, um, and of course, those links are in the show notes, folks. So go uh, go check out Joshua's. Uh, Twitter feed, Instagram, and all that jazz whilst we're speaking. Um, now, um, all of that aside, Joshua, I do have some bad news for you. Um, and that is that on top of the, the pandemic that we're hopefully just coming out of, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's actually been a zombie outbreak. Oh, um, I know. Just just as we, things were looking it never up, never rains the pours. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, my first question for you is: What is your action plan for survival? Uh, so, strangely enough, I, I I have been thinking about this for for at least as many years as Walking Dead has been on uh, on television. Excellent. Um, so, uh, fortunately, I live I live in Houston, Texas, which is a, a decently sized city with, among other things, a decently sized uh, historical museum. So my my action, which is not too far from me, so my action plan is um, to break into there, uh, steal as much of the armor out of their chivalry exhibit as they have, at least to cover my arms and neck and, and loved ones, and then uh, head to the harbor, for, which is also not too far from me. Uh, to steal someone's boat. We're going to get out to sea and eventually make our way to an island, some sort of area where it's difficult to, uh, for something that can't swim to get to, and uh, I can see in all directions. And then uh, hope I remember something about agriculture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You work it out. It's fine. <laughs> you work it out. <laughs> exactly. It's all good. Uh, that is a fine plan. Um, and um, sorry, who was going with you? Uh, my, my wife and both children. Hopefully there's enough armor for all of us. Otherwise, it's going to be some tough sure. decisions. <laughs> I'm sure it'll, there'll be enough armor and you'll get safely to the island. That's um, the oh, 100%. Um, but whilst you're, whilst you're on, on the boat, um, on the way to the island, um, <clears throat> the, the conversation of comics comes up on the boat and, and your children ask you, um, what's the first comic you remember enjoying? It's kind of weird. Uh, so I, I think that there's a couple that I can choose from. The one that, and it's always kind of stuck in my head, is uh, it's the thing that got me into comics, which was um, Transformers. Because uh, back in the day, I was, uh, when I was a little boy, I was an avid fan of the, uh, the Transformers cartoon. And I think like a lot of kids, I came into comics uh, through finding something that, you know, I couldn't get enough of my cartoon fix and the stuff I, I first saw. On the, this was back, I'm old enough now, I used to get my comics from like a newsstand or a 7-Eleven back when uh, <laughs> that's where you found most of them on a spinner rack. And uh, the ones I always went to, the ones I recognize, because you go to what you recognize. And, and, and uh, early on, it's from cartoons and movies you watch. So uh, I would read uh, Transformers uh, comic books and, and um, G.I. Joe comic books. And those were, those were really my, my entry point uh, into comics and, um, and, uh, they're different obviously than whatever you're watching. And that was like the, the other part was, that was my entry point into, uh, um, uh, material being, uh, translated across different mediums, depending on who's in charge of it. The people who wrote the, uh, the, the Marvel comics were very different from the people who were, 
making the cartoon for very different audience for different reasons. Uh, um, mm-hmm. But uh, early, it was still it was the thing that made me stick into it. And um, early on, there, there was an issue uh, where one of the small characters gets a, a day in the spotlight story uh, where the, the evil Decepticons have set up a uh, car wash that uh, that uh, hypnotizes people when you go through it in order to make an army of slaves. And, uh, and our, our young hero uh, has to figures it out and has to uh, keep his, his uh, would-be girlfriend from getting brainwashed and save the day and fight uh, uh, the horrible Decepticon behind it, this little uh, bat creature called uh, Rat Bat. And um, <laughs> it was it was uh, the right level of, of goofiness. It was less self-serious than the issues I'd read before, which I kind of would read because it was Transformers and I put them down. And the same with G.I. Joe. It was at just the right amount of goofiness, just the right amount of the, the characters that I liked from the show in it. And, uh, and I literally read the cover off of it and, uh, it just sort of fell apart on me one day. Oh man. Have you said, have you still got it? I do. Uh, what's left of it. The bits of it that's left. <laughs> I have the bits of it that are left of it. I, I, I kept all of my, uh, all my Transformer comics from, from back in the day, all those, uh, all Marvel ones. And, uh, some of them are in pretty rough shape, but I, I have them still anyway. Oh yeah, too right. It's 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 the sentimental value, That's right. r- rather than the grading. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I ever showed it to, especially that one, to some grader, I'm afraid he'd come. It's like, oh, minus five. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's like a great war crime. Is what I, you know, yeah. like a, a six-year-old of a comic book. What happens? <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what that's what they're for. Um, but uh, yes, uh, so back to the boat. Um, what's the f- they, your children? Sorry, ask you. What's the funniest comic that you've read? Now, unfortunately, actually, there's a, there are a good number of them. Unfortunately, the one I'm going to tell them, they're not going to get it all because it's, the children are not going to find it funny. But I'm going to tell them anyway because I find it funny. <laughs> um, there was a, there was a period uh, in the late '90s when uh, Alan Moore came back from self-publishing to to uh, working with Homage Comics and, and Wildstorm. He had his own line of books, uh, America's Best Comics, and one of them was a one of the particularly strange ones was a series called Tomorrow Stories, which was a uh, sort of anthology of whatever whatever goofy thing he could think of. And, um, uh, one of the, one of the stories had, uh, the main character, I, th- I think it was the spider or something like that. It's been too many years since I've read it, but I remember they were searching for the person who made them, which inevitably led them to Alan Moore himself. Cause he loves, uh, uh, meta commentary as, as much as anything else. And they came to a temple where the writer lived, which was him. And it was scrawled all over with writings about, what he had to do and what the characters had to do and how all this great art of comic uh, creation and writing was supposed to work. And there was one, uh, one, uh, uh, very specific, uh, bit lay above the, the door that read, uh, let my eyes be stabbed out with red hot pokers of one word be less than genius. And, uh, it doesn't sound funny kind of out of context. It's probably not definitely, but I, I, I thought it was, I, don't know. I, I, I can see the, uh, the humor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if anything, especially by that point, I was in my, my twenties and, uh, in college and had like settled on, I want to be a writer and this is what I want to do. Uh, so, uh, and I don't know if anything ever like encapsulated the, the self-loathing of a lighter of a writer, more than that sentence <laughs> and it's still funny <laughs> too right and so was that really kind of your your inception into into writing 
It was uh, for for comic books. It it was. I, I already knew it was for that point, at least by the time I was a teenager. Although it was also from um, uh, from actually probably more more like ten or eleven years old. It was also from Alan Moore. It was um, when I discovered uh, Watchmen. I actually it was actually at a, at a bookstore, not a not at a comic book store, but there was a, a graphic novel section at uh, at our local bookstore, which is what I always went to, uh, even back then, even in the late eighties. And, um, and, uh, that's what I, whenever we went there with the family, so my dad could buy books, that was the section I went to to look through things. And that was actually where I first discovered both, um, uh, the Dark Knight, uh, Returns and Watchmen in their, their original collected forms and read, uh, read, read them in, in, um, various trips to that bookstore over the course of about a month and a half. And, um, <laughs> and that was really, especially reading Watchmen was where, uh, um, I probably got the bug that uh, you can. Yes, this is something you can write, and something you should write. Something you can can uh, yeah, uh, can write really good stories with, and, uh, and that's probably like the the level I've been aspiring to my whole life. Which you know, I guess set a high bar for yourself, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but definitely somewhere around there, and uh, and it's never gone away. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Um, so heading back to the boat, you land on the beach. Um, I assume there's a beach on these islands <laughs> or some <laughs> sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, now that you um, have set foot on safe land for now, um, your children look back and kind of are a bit sad that they've had to leave everything behind. So they ask you, what's the saddest comic? that you've read yeah and that's it's it's tough um mainly because you know sometimes uh, comics do try try to make you sad and i've read actually some mm-hmm. very recently that have done a really good job of it but especially um uh as much as anything else they're trying to also be fun and it's and they're a little weird so it's hard to balance that um, but i remember there's one that really sticks in my head i was a uh, i was a real fan of john lewis's um true swamp uh, which was a, uh, a small indie comic of uh, in the 90s and the early 2000s, which was basically about the life of these these swamp creatures in, in this swamp. It, it focused primarily on a frog and uh, the various other creatures uh, uh, that he would meet throughout his day as they tried to make sure they found something to eat, make sure they didn't get eaten by predators, and in the meantime had like real existential conversations about the meaning of life. It was uh, it's a strange book, like, like a lot of very... Um, iconoclastic uh, uh, indie books are. And there was a, um, an ongoing storyline from the first issue about a, a lizard that the, the main character um, had a crush on, but could not bring himself to, to, uh, to say anything to her and um, kept, uh, kept putting it off and putting it off. And, and, um, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, in the middle of like other things going on, he discovers that uh, she had been eaten by a bird uh, as happens in nature. And, uh, and it was, you know, and it's really thematically relevant to what the, mm. the story he was telling about sort of, um, that, that naturalistic view of life, but it's a real gut punch just sort yeah. of, you have to imagine in real life for, for any of us, but especially, you know, small prey animals living out in the wild, that's what it's going to be like. Um, mm. and then you anthropomorphize that and suddenly it, uh, it can become um, very chilling and very sad, very, very quickly. Uh, so that one has always sort of stuck with me. That's brutal. Um, uh, yeah, how how old were you when you read that? That would I, I would I was in college, so I, I was yeah 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 twenty one something like that. Too. If I'd been much younger, I probably 
would, would not have been reading that book. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Um, but no, it was great that, um, you know, even at a college age, you could appreciate, mm-hmm. appreciate it. I, I'm not sure everybody uh who's who's at college would perhaps appreciate it <laughs> that level. like this is just stupid <laughs> it's like what did i waste my time for this for <laughs> exactly <laughs> but no no that's uh that's really really interesting um now i just uh, ruined true got... swamp for anyone who's never read anyway, it before yeah, it's spo- it's a spoiler alert, spoiler alert but <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a fairly old uh fairly yeah. old comic now yeah, but uh, that's true <laughs> yeah um but changing gears um the next uh question that comes up is what's the scariest comic that you've read that one was a little hard because i've never found yeah. comics particularly scary and I, I i've got a lot of horror stuff i've got like a lot of collections of, of ec horror stuff and uh and just by the nature of uh so i i, I you probably tell by now i was a big fan of like the um the uh, original uh, British uh, invasion of uh, the, the yeah. creation of Vertigo uh, in the eighties, most of which was labeled as horror comics. But even those, um, I you know, I find that they're 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 kind of interesting and thought provoking, but it's hard to uh, to really call them horrific. Um, mm. The closest thing I could think of was something that 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 there were lots of pieces of it that did stick with me, and, and this one's uh, um, probably been mentioned by more than one person in this particular category, I think would be uh, Sandman number six, which was like a really um, big one early in the run where um, uh, uh, a, a man who has uh, the power to make people do that strangely similar to the box, make people do whatever they want. Um, takes so he, he, whatever he tells them to do, takes over a diner for 24 hours and spends 24 hours uh, basically torturing uh, everyone there by telling them different uh, degrading things to do. Some of them emotionally humiliating, some of them um, physically uh, uh, humiliating until he eventually has them kill themselves in different ways. So that's very, I don't know if scary is the right word, but it is very, you know, it, it is distressing and it is very, it's, it was unnerving um, mm. kind of, it kind of in that sense comes apart a little bit at the end because the main character dream appears to, uh, to settle things and, and he's always he is always kind of like out of remove from the reader uh, which means he kind of suddenly puts you at um, a remove from all of this unnerving um, material that you've been delving into right up to that point and it brings everything to like a, a kind of sudden um, uh, out of nowhere conclusion although you're you kind of know it has to happen because you're in a book called the same man so it has to happen at some point uh, but I, that one really sticks in my head. It was, you know, I don't know about scary, but definitely um, very unnerving, um, and uh, and one of my my first kind of entries into into Vertigo comics. Definitely, and yeah, I mean, it's not the not the first time that this point has has been made on the on the podcast. That it is, it's really difficult to have to make a comic scary, um, and I think it's. It's more likely, as you say, to make it unnerving or distressing um, rather than kind of actually physically scary. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, um, there's, there's definitely the likes of Junji Ito are pretty scary <laughs> in terms of uh, yeah all of that. But um, yeah, no, um, that's a that's a that's a really good uh, really good choice in terms of kind of. Yeah, just feeling unsettled <laughs> by, yeah. by something. Yeah. Um, and uh, Gaiman's a, a master of all of that, isn't he? Yeah, very much so. Uh, that's, his, that's his calling card, or at least when he first broke in. 
Absolutely. Uh, now, um, the next question is very specific, and that is, uh, what's your favorite cover? It's going to sound kind of weird and kind of like um, out of nowhere, I, I think. And maybe that is for everyone, because, you know, it's, it's, I was thinking about that, because it's real easy to pick um, like a, uh, an iconic one, and they're iconic for, for like, for, for reasons like uh, like the the Dark Knight Returns number one or uh, the Stranko Hulk cover where he's holding up the word Hulk and things that that you know get used on magazine covers a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, and I'm like, it, it's hard to say favorite, but I think it's something, and it's probably because of the age I, I when I when I saw it because I was I was probably about um, ten or eleven years old. So you know those things you see when you're young and impressionable they they stick with you, but. Um, there was a period where, uh, when um, Barry Windsor Smith was still working pretty pretty regularly at Marvel, he was doing um, he was doing a lot of covers um, uh, for books, but he was also sort of he was doing like uh, interiors, um, sort of, but itinerantly. So he, he he wasn't on a on a book on a regular basis. He would just show up. He'd show up. He'd do two issues of Marvel of uh, of X Men, and then he'd disappear. Then he'd do like one issue of the Thing, and then. He'd go and he'd do like one issue of Iron Man and and, uh, and then go do something else. And um, he happened to be uh, the artist. There was a, a, a very um, famous storyline, um, Iron Man storyline uh, in the 80s called The Armor Wars, where, where Iron Man has to go and uh, find people who've stolen his technology and, and get it back from them. And, uh, and it's kind of basically fighting himself. And the, the wrap-up for the story was actually a, a, uh, a dream issue where uh, you basically inside of uh, Tony Stark's uh, um, dream, a nightmare he's having where he is basically fighting himself as he deals with the guilt of everything that has come with this storyline. So it's uh, um, probably much more uh, internalized than usually your big climaxes for a big year-long storyline. And, uh, and Barry Windsor Smith was the artist for his cover and the internal artist. And this is my, my first... Um, exposure to his work, which eventually became a uh, he eventually became one of my uh, my all time favorite artists. Is I didn't know it was like I didn't know who he was. I was just like, wow, this looks mm. different from uh, every, anything else I've ever seen. And it's a very um, it's a very unique and uh, eye catching cover. Imagine that Barry Windsor Smith did an eye catching cover, but it's a very yeah. unique and eye catching cover with uh, Tony Stark in his Iron Man armor hanging suspended by cables stretching up to the heavens and a kind of uh, city crucifixion pose and uh mm-hmm. that one's always you know for for all of those reasons that that's kind of always stuck in my head as as one of my uh my all-time favorites yeah I think it must have been somebody else's because it ended up being like yeah. the cover of the of the armor wars trade so i'm assuming everybody else who looked at it said like yeah it <laughs> liked cover. it as well <laughs> yeah definitely um no it's it's absolutely fantastic um to look at it um and and for everybody if you just uh google iron man uh 232 um it'll it'll come up but um it's if you haven't seen it before that is and uh yeah no it's it's absolutely fantastic it tells it it says a lot um because as a as a reader you're just thinking how did he end up there Mm-hmm. you know what happened for Iron Man to end up being um wrapped up in in these cables no helmet um his boots are all messed up as well um and uh yeah it's it's intriguing and it, and it, it's it's quite good because it's a it's it's a plain background yeah as well so the only that. detail is him yep so he looks like so you know, it goes against that grain of what you you would usually see with uh, the hero 
and and the villain uh, on the cover and having and, and some sort of fighting pose or or maybe uh, the hero is unconscious because he looks like he's just been beaten something like that and this goes against mm-hmm. all of that grain. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost more like a uh, like a, a Caravaggio level painting or or something like that with the with a deep use of shadow and only a minimal mm-hmm. amount of light. But you look at it and you go like, oh, he is in he is in great distress. Something something bad has happened to him, but I don't know what it is. Which kind of sums up the the what happens in that issue as well, where it seems like bad things are happening to him, but you may not necessarily be sure why because there's not a an overt villain or, or action elements mm. or the, the stuff you would normally uh, expect from a, a Marvel superhero series. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, I know that's a, that's a really good cover and uh, glad, glad you brought it to my attention because I hadn't seen that one before. So um, thanks. All right. Brilliant. Uh, now, uh, moving on to one of my favorite questions and that is uh, what's the most meaningful comic to you? I- I'm, I'm, just be, I'm trying hard not to repeat myself, but this one I, I will just because I think I, I mentioned it before. But for me, it really is um, the the Watchmen series, the original Watchmen series, mainly because it was the, the the book that, upon reading it, made me realize I could be and did want to write comic books. They weren't just a thing that I wanted to to read or you know or a hobby I had, but it was something that um, uh, was going to be a, a lifelong passion. And, uh, and wanted to be deeply involved in and, and eventually make my own. Fantastic. And, uh, I mean, we, we, we went into a bit of, you know, um, how you got into writing in the first place, but what, what led you to, to set up Red 5 Comics? It, you know, it's the right pieces fell into the right place at the right time. I had been, um, before Red 5, and actually still, because I, I still to say I, I, I was writing, working as a, a writer for a, uh, a movie website doing um, entertainment news and uh, film criticism and reviews and, and interviews and that sort of thing called um, ComingSoon.net. And, uh, and uh, I, two, or, or, um, two of the other writers who were there were also um, quite big comic fans. Imagine that. Lots of people who write about movies <laughs> on the internet read comic books. Uh, but they were also big comic fans. And one of them, who's my, my partner now at, at Red 5, Scott Shipwood, had mentioned that um, that uh, he was going to make, start his own comic company. And I, I had uh, I had thought about it for a long time, but I hadn't thought about it really hard. But he was like, I'm, no, I'm, this is something I'm going to do it. I have a, a partner, my, my partner from my, my internet days, um, that uh, we, we decided uh, that we're going to do this. He was our the third partner, our father man named um, Paul Inns, who uh, I, at that point in time, he was um, the webmaster for, for Lucasfilm. He, he did that for, um, wow. for most of the 2000s before uh, um, moving back to Canada and deciding I, um, he needed to, to go do different other things. And part of the, one of those other things was uh, he wanted to start his own comic book company. And so lo and behold, by 2000, this sort of, this, you know, was sort of discussion that was going back and forth and people were thinking about books they were going to put together for um, a while, for a couple of years. And then in 2007, it just sort of uh, materialized through a mixture of Paul uh, made a book. And then at the same time, several books came in that I think from creators he knew who were, who were also thinking the same thing. So suddenly there was a, uh, a small library of three or four titles and it was possible to, uh, to actually go out and start um, and start selling books directly to stores and trying to get into diamond, which, which didn't take too long. And uh, so I was still working on some, some projects of my own and I was doing um, uh, a lot of work for red five, mainly um, a lot of back office stuff and helping them keep things um, 
going on a sort of unofficial capacity for um, a few years until they decided to um, to make it official and make me uh, one of the partners. And then from there, it's been more kind of always looking for, you know, trying to find time to write my own books and looking for um, uh, for new undiscovered material and undiscovered talent to kind of bring out and, and, uh, and show to the world. And uh, I thought I would have more time for writing than I would have, and I'd have more books <laughs> done than I actually have. I think I severely underestimated uh, the actual workload from trying to run even a, a small publisher that puts out a handful of titles a year. Um, but I wouldn't change it for anything. It's great. That's fantastic. And yeah, no, that's a, that's a really difficult one to try and balance in terms of, yeah, being a publisher and a writer. Um, is, there, is there any advice that you'd give to anybody out there? On uh, on running a company or trying to yeah on, well I'm trying to I'm trying to balance both I guess um, <sighs> yeah it's 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 tough I, you've got to uh, what works for me is as far as anything works is um, sort of relentlessly scheduling out your time down to like all right this is the time I'm going to give to this and these are the very specific things I'm going to get done that have to get done now for. Uh, uh, to give all the back office stuff working and now this is the time I'm going to give to writing and you know like trying to fit writing within a specific window of time isn't like super conducive to uh, to the creative process but mm-hmm. um, you kind of have to you should be like all right we have x hours yeah, you just got to step up <laughs> and do it first I'm gonna get done what I can get done and I'm gonna stop and I'm come here and I have like these 10 things that have to be done today and then um, if they're done today and I have extra time I'll go back to the writing if they're not then so, but it's like, yeah, just really like down to, down to the, I won't say down to the minute, but down to as specifically as you can managing your time and knowing, having a, a mm. list of things that you're, you have to get done. Otherwise something gets missed. That's all exactly. I do. <laughs> I that's know, that's fantastic. Do <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I'd say that's the tried, tried and tested um, method really, isn't it? Um, and uh you know, I'm uh, my daughter is four years old, and over the past four years, and we've got a second one coming in mm. like in October. Um, so that's, that's going to be another. Tough, thing. That's a, right so it's another level, <laughs> exactly. That's another level. So just just learning over the past four years, um, as as being a parent, that you know, you you do you just got to schedule everything and get it done. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if you know you can't wait for inspiration on stuff. You've got to get moving. Exactly. And just be prepared to, to be under, under, uh, under counting how, how difficult it will be. But then when it turns out to be more difficult, you just get through it anyway. I'll tell you that second kid, you think it's going to be twice as hard, but it's actually like yeah. four times as hard. And it's, and right. it's kind yeah. of the same way. Exponential. You know, with, <laughs> with like, yeah, trying to do your writing and publishing and all the other stuff. It just, it ends up being more exponentially difficult, not just additive. Yeah. You just got to be like, all right, it's fine. It's more difficult. It's taking longer than I thought. We're just going to get through it. And somehow get exactly. everything done. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic well getting getting back to your uh your kids on uh on, on the island right. um who, who are absolute angels and uh, you know don't don't don't, <laughs> don't bother you want too much from me they don't want anything else this is good and they ask uh, what's the most underrated comic and uh if it, it fluctuates for me because because it, it's uh 
you know, it, it changes um, over time and it'll be different because there, there will be, you know, some of the books you're reading, like right now there's a thriving, um, there's a thriving uh, small press scene that that's bigger now than mm-hmm. it has been in years. So, but that means mm-hmm. there's like lots of books that are good that some people just probably haven't heard of. So it comes down to like, how, you know, how you define it. Uh, is it, is it just a book that it's un- underrated because no one knows it exists because it has such a small print run and small audience maybe uh, is not in very many comic stores and you have to know it exists before you even read it. Or is it like something that was once big and has now been, to, you know, time has moved on and, um, and people just sort of forgotten it because it's been replaced by, by the next big thing. So, you know, but, uh, so um, I, I was thinking of two um, that, kind of hit both sort of parts of that spectrum. There was a, there was a, a an indie comic of the nineties called uh, Hepcats that, um, that I was, and I am still a, a tremendous fan of that came out of, out of Austin, Texas. And it was basically uh, uh, the life of a group of 20 um, somethings, initially college students. Cause it started, it started its life as a comic strip in a college newspaper and then kind of translated into uh, mm-hmm. into a comic book. And uh, so it's life of 20 um, something, um, uh, 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 college students and then um, um, early adults trying to go out and, and make their way in, in the world and uh, and it fluctuates, but it's um, an entirely anthropomorphized cats um, and it and it fluctuates wildly from from comedy to to deep drama and um, covers wide subjects behind like figuring out what you're going to do with your life having children at a, at a much older age than you expected to um, suicide. Um, um, abuse. I mean, it covers like the, the gamut of um, of, uh, of human experience, even though it only lasted fourteen <laughs> issues. And then the the writer kind of gave it up, and uh, he kind of teased at one point um, for the writer artist, uh, and he kind of teased at one point coming back to it, and then and then never did. And and, um, and it's probably forgotten by most people. But I, I was uh, a tremendous fan of it, and I think if, if it had continued. It uh, it would be very very influential. You see a lot of what he's he was doing in that, and kind of still see now, especially in web comics, a lot of the stuff on webtoons. Um, and he he might have been like a, a spearhead of that um, of that movement. But he's the last I heard, he'd gone into doing conceptual art for movies and television and stuff that they that they shoot around around Austin, Texas, which is uh, which is good for him. But I I, I miss that book. Um, I think people like knew of it when it was coming out. And, paid attention to the independent scene and, but it's been so long and it was so short. It's just one of those brief points that uh, flared up and, and went away. It went away. And um, mm. my other selection would be very similar to that, just on a bigger vein, which was James Robinson's Starman, uh, which was a, you know, a big, a big uh, superhero comic of, of uh, the nineties, but it was a very, very specific style, um, partly art style and partly um, storytelling style. And it, and it told a, uh, I don't know if epic is the right word, but it told a beginning and middle and end and definitive beginning, middle and end uh, that you could follow over the course of uh, 60 some odd issues of the life of, of uh, Starman, who was a, uh, a legacy hero uh, uh, from DC that uh, he, he reinvented with the, the son of the original forties character. And, uh, and he, but he created this city and gave it a very, and created all this world of, um, of supporting characters and gave it a very unique feel, which was different from a lot of the other superhero stuff, especially that was being done in the mid and late nineties. And, um, and it was, it was well regarded when it came out, but I don't know if it's 
remembered anymore, like the omnibus isn't in print anymore. I think partly because Robinson left comics to go do, um, to go write movies and he, he was just out of it for, for like 15 years. So, uh, he, you know, it's, when you're not when you're not churning out new material every every month or every year, people kind of forget and they, they move on to the next thing that somebody is doing, and so some mm. of your stuff gets forget forgotten. So I, I don't see people um, mention that uh, as much anymore when they talk about like the great uh, the great comic runs, especially from a from a singular creator. It was just one writer the whole time. I mean, two artists. Um, uh, it was Tony Harris for about half of it and Wade Von Grauwalder for about half of it. Um, so it kept like a, a consistent feel across more than 60 issues, which is something that just doesn't happen at all um, in comics these days because it can't because the market has changed so much. Um, so that one is, is underrated. If somebody's looking for, you know, a very, a very fun, easy to read um, book just in that straight up mainstream superhero milieu that's not like uh, any other one that you've read. Um, that's one to check out and, and easy to show to all ages. Nice. Excellent. It's always welcome. Great recommendation. Uh, now, uh, the next question that crops up, and our penultimate question is: uh, What comic would you recommend to a friend who's never read comics? Yeah, and when I, and when I was in my twenties, I would always say like <laughs> Watchmen or or, or uh, Dark Knight Returns or something like that. This is yeah. like, or From Hell, you know. But it's like heavy mature stuff and you know you think about it as you're going you're like yeah but who are you going to give this to and some of it depends on who's asking um but yeah. recently it has been the last several years it's it's i've moved to uh, the complete bone um which even though it's it's very large uh i mm. in fact i've given it as a as a like a christmas gift to a couple of different um, nephews um, but even though it's very large it it can work from and, and it's in black and white it can work for almost anyone um, it has a, a really, you know, because it has storyline elements that work fine for adults, but it has also that have worked for kids. It has a lot of light humor. You know, the main characters are basically cartoon characters from, from a, a Bugs Bunny type land. Um, but, it, but it takes itself just seriously enough that you can you are willing to invest the time to get through all of it. It is a complete story at the beginning, middle and end. It doesn't uh, because it's using that that. Um, conceit of, of sort of the, the cartoon characters at the center. It doesn't use like a too heavy of a vocabulary. So it's um, very easy to read and understand even for young readers who are really getting into it. It's a good book for, for young readers. You know, when I, you see the, the, the same people who are getting ready to are getting ready to read um, Harry Potter books or, uh, or uh, uh, Percy Jackson books or something like that, it's going to be a good fit for them and they will uh, get into it for for the same reason. Uh, so uh, I uh, I tend to recommend that one a lot. Or if um, if that's if people look at it and go, I'm not going to read that. It's a thousand pages because it is mm-hmm. it's quite thick. Then I, I might hand them uh, Don Rosa's Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck for uh, for very much the same nice. reason, just uh, a bit smaller. That's brilliant. Um, and if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Well, once upon a time, I can't, I can I, I've been telling myself I wasn't going to repeat myself, but I am. I, because once upon a time, it probably <laughs> would have been Watchmen, which is probably the the single individual like graphic novel I have I have read the most. Um, mm. But nowadays, I would probably take Bone because uh, you know it's a bit lighter. Uh, I don't necessarily, if I'm dealing with the apocalypse and I'm stuck on an island forever, I don't necessarily want to be reading about somebody else's apocalypse where everybody dies and things are awful. I'd like to read a a nice fun. Uh, light book with uh, some cartoon characters dealing with cow races and uh, and uh, 
stupid monsters and uh <laughs> and where i can get a nice life and it's big so i won't finish it in one night it's going to take me uh several days every time i sit to reread it so it'll feel like uh, i'm not always restarting it and uh and it's also big so with lots of paper so if i ever have to light a fire i've got lots and lots of fuel to uh to light my fire with perfect anyway. so it's kind of a it's a multi-tool That's as well right. these are important <laughs> during the end times 100 percent um and uh what weapon tool or useful item would you take with you as well honestly you really you, i don't know why i don't see more of this in anything i have to do with zombies you really need something that's going to cover your arms and neck like yeah all they can do is bite you they can't carry weapons they can't they don't walk very fast uh um weapons are good for getting rid of them but as long if they can't get to you it doesn't matter how many of them there are they're not going to take anything off so i feel like you know those medieval knights had it right full it's it's hot but Mm -hmm. uh full plate i mean something that covering your arms your legs your neck so they can't actually bite you you know take no chances 100 percent full armor suit that's right 100%. 100%. That's a, that's a great choice. And I'm not even sure that that's actually come up on the on the podcast before. So yeah. it might be a first time that somebody's yeah. actually just pointed out just wear a full full suit of armor. And it doesn't have to be, obviously, kind of a classic knight's armor. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it could be plastic, something light. <laughs> like Kevlar, Kevlar would be Kevlar, fine, right? Just something that's really hard to bite through. Well, why, you know, exactly. Uh, I, I'm willing to be hot and, and sticky if it means a zombie can't bite me. 100% man that's fantastic uh, well Joshua Stones thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse it's been a real pleasure no thanks for having me excellent and for the listeners one more time where can they find you online yeah, you can find me on twitter at Josh Starnes Film find me on uh, on uh, Instagram at JB Starnes One uh, find me at Facebook uh, at the just search for Red 5 Comics uh, Facebook to get to our Facebook page or check us out on the internet www.red5comics.com Fantastic and folks go check out the box um, written by by Joshua and uh, and published by Red 5 as well, I'm sure you can find it at your local comic book uh, shop as well Um, and you've got a diamond code haven't you for that? I do, so you can find the first issue uh, right now which is uh, diamond code uh, JUN211 uh, 783. I'm doing that from memory, but I'm, I'm relatively sure that that is correct. <laughs> and uh, go tell your local store. Uh, they're ordering issue three right now, but you can still get uh, issues one. Tell them you want to put it in your, your pull list. Your store will uh, thank you so they're not having to guess on demand. And if for some reason you can't find it anywhere else or you live uh, in Jakarta or somewhere far off uh, the unbeaten path, uh, you can come to red5comics.com and buy it directly from our web store. We do ship worldwide. Amazing. And of course, all those links from the show notes, folks. Um, And uh, again, Joshua, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Thank you. Take care, man. Take care. Thanks again to Joshua for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will only we know that you liked it, but believe that helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Joshua's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday.
Bye for now.